And if you haven't met Wayne, it's Pastor Wayne Hoy. Come on up, buddy. <laughs> I'd sing a song, but I don't sing very well. <laughs> oh, boy. Hi there. As Jesse said, I'm Pastor Wayne. And if I haven't met you, hope to soon. And you're stuck with me this morning. We're still going to be in the book of James. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? Get it up high there. Okay, ushers are delivering. See with some over there. What I love is when they're clear over here, and then somebody all of a sudden raises their hand over there in the in the little alcove. There we go. That's it. Work them. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That Dave Robertson's a man of many uh, talents. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Dave Robertson is the chairman of Sierra Bible Church. Is that right, Dave? That's right. He's the chairman. He sets up every Saturday the chairs that you are sitting in. And I think he also prays over those chairs. You feel it? (laughs) Turn with me this morning to the book of James. So we continue our journey through this incredible book. Anybody learned anything through this book yet? Anything new? Oh, yes. I love this book. And we're going to honor God's word this morning by standing as we read. <clears throat> James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these last several weeks that we have been going through this incredible book. We ask that you would again this day speak to our hearts. These are your words, Lord. They're not the words of man. So may our hearts be open to hear you and to heed you in whatever way you may speak to us over these next few minutes. But Father, my greatest prayer is that we would be receptive to the words that you are given, that would be, we would be obedient to those things to which you would call us, and that for every man and woman and boy and girl who is been here this morning, that in some way 
they will be standing a little closer to Jesus than they were when they arrived. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have to be honest with you, when Jesse asked me if I would preach for him this week, and then he gave me the passage of Scripture, I thought, thanks. Uh, Why couldn't he have given me John 3.16? Or, you know, Jesus blessing the children, or turning water into wine, or, you know, something like that. But no... And I don't want to say he gave it to me because he didn't want to preach it, but uh, the thought crossed my mind. But you know, as I got into it again, this paragraph is as much as part of God's Word and is God's Word as the rest of the book. And so I know that God has something for us. And so as I began to explore, as I began to pray, as I began to ask the Lord to show me what was on his heart in regard to these words for us this day, in Sierra Bible Church in Truckee, California. Something happened. And I was telling somebody in the first service, on Friday, I was so anxious to get to this pulpit, I couldn't hardly stand it, which was different from when the verses were first given to me. There's some seats down here on this side. You're in the place to sit. Christine's holding a row down all by herself. You need some help there, don't you, Christine? Okay. Well, let's jump in. As James starts this, he starts it with a warning. He warns of an impending judgment upon those who would make wealth or riches or possessions their God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, No one can serve two masters, or either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, I've often told people, the throne of the human heart is not a two-seater. It's a one-seater. And either you are occupying that throne today or he's occupying that throne. But it can't be a shared occupation. And so Jesus says, you can only have one master. The master is either the Lord or the master is money, your possessions, your stuff, your material goods. Since Jesse has reminded us that James has pulled these sermons from the Sermon on the Mount and from the book of Proverbs, From the book of Proverbs we read, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Here James, in these first few verses, mentions three measures of wealth in his day. First is farm goods, grain or corn or olive oil or wine. The second is expensive clothing. The third is is gold and silver. And he tells us that crops can rot and spoil. The latest fashions can be eaten by moths. And gold and silver can corrode. Literally, the word corrode here is to rust. 
Now, you might be quick to say, hey, I took seventh grade general science. And I know that gold and silver cannot rust. What James is saying here is he's making a point that the most precious things on this earth, if they become God things, are not indestructible. If good things become God things, they have no lasting influence. And he lets us know here that this kind of corrosion does not just eat up gold and silver. It eats up the soul. James' conviction is this. To build one's life and to place one's trust in material things is to trust the delusion that will ultimately lead to eternal loss, the eternal judgment of God. It is impossible to serve both God and money. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, talks about this. If you turn there with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Are you aware of that? You know, you came into this world in your birthday suit, and you're not going to leave with any more. Billy Graham was famous for saying he had yet to see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse you came into this world with nothing you will leave with nothing and then he says if you have food and clothing you are to be content with that in the sixth chapter of matthew jesus said seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and if you back up the all these things are food and clothing and shelter And he says, here, if you have food and clothing or shelter, you are to be content with that. A few years ago, when our last boom went bust, I had many people in my office that had suffered what they thought was some sort of loss, whether their house ended up in foreclosure and it was upside down or upside down in its mortgages, whether their their finances were to the place that they weren't going to be able to make Hawaii this year, or they're only able now to eat out twice a week instead of four times. Literally, some of them were wondering where was God and how come he let them down. See, the bottom line is, God is saying the base standard for God, for those who care for him, who love him, who surrender their lives to him, is that he will provide you with food and clothing and shelter. The sad part is, is that most of us in this room have had so much above that line for so long that we think we're entitled to that. And so when that gets cut back, we think our throat's been cut. We think that God is somehow unfaithful. But the truth of the matter is, this line of food, clothing, and shelter, that's the baseline. And anything above that line is pure blessing. And we need to live and understand that it is pure blessing. And let me tell you this, the, the poorest person in this room today is a whole lot richer than 90% of the population in our world today. 
But we have come to a place we think we're entitled because we've had so much for so long. I have to deal with that every once in a while. And when something gets trimmed back, it's, what is God doing to me? When we understand the baseline, then anything above that baseline is gift. And what's below is grace. He goes on and says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. I want you to be very, 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 very careful to understand that money is not the root of all evil. Money's neutral. Money can be used for good and it can be wasted. It is the love of money. It is the love of money. It is that war between, you know, God and money. It's who's on the throne of your heart and what motivates you when you get out of bed every day. Is it to be a child of the living God who brings him glory through all you do? Or is it another buck in your bank account, in your 401k and in your portfolio or a bigger this, or a faster that, or a better this. Let me tell you this, there is nothing wrong with these things, as long as they're not God things. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money itself. And I believe this with all my heart, so that money would not become our God, the word of God tells us that the first 10% of our income belongs to him. The Bible says that the first 10% of your income belongs to him. So, your attitude towards money can be measured by how joyfully you are bringing the whole tithe of your income into God's storehouse. I'll let that one lie there. The second half of this paragraph is a statement about social justice. Historically speaking, it has been the rich through history that have exploited the poor, not the poor exploiting the rich. Two of my heroes of the faith are William Wilberforce and General William Booth. Both of them, in 19th century England, fought and fought and fought in the name of Jesus Christ for social justice. At that time, a lot of the coal mines were being manned by children. The, the woolen mills, the linen mills were being manned by children. Children who got pennies a day and worked 14 to 16 hours a day in unbelievable conditions. Children who were dying many times before their teenage years from black lung or from breathing the dust that hung in these factories. There were no social justice laws where children were protected against sexual abuse. There were no implied consent laws that said if a child is under this age, they are not responsible, they are not able to give you a responsible response when they are being exploited. And so General William Booth of the Salvation Army, William Wilberforce 
They fought and they fought and they fought and they fought for the rights of the poor, for the rights of the downtrodden, for the rights of the orphan and the widow and the exploited. My favorite work of Charles Dickens is The Christmas Carol. And we just came through the Christmas season, and I watched this movie again no less than three times. And I have a favorite. It was made in 1951, the same year I was born. As far as I'm concerned, that's the high water mark. But, you know, Mickey Mouse's Ebenezer Scrooge just doesn't quite do it for me. Jim Carrey, you know. But the story, I know you're familiar with this story. And in it, we witness the contrast between the wealthy businessman, Ebenezer Scrooge, and his poor clerk, Bob Cratchit, and the needy world outside of his door. There's a scene where two men come to Scrooge's place of business trying to raise some money for food and meat for the poor. And all Scrooge says is, are the prisons no longer in business? Are the union workhouses closed down? They says, no, the poor houses, they're still open. He goes, for a minute there, I didn't think they were in business anymore. My taxes support these institutions. Get out of my face. Well, we know that Scrooge had a conversion of sorts. After the visits of three spirits on Christmas Eve. And upon his conversion, here's what he did. The first thing he did is he doubled Bob Cratchit's salary. He promised to help his poor family and his ailing child, Tiny Tim. And then he ran down the men who were there trying to get him to help out, that he could help out, and he begins to reach out to the needy. Now, you don't have to be a student of Scripture for very long, Old Testament and New, to read and see that God's heart is especially drawn or extended to the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the exploited. So much so, so much so, that the Bible tells us again and again, when we reach out to help these, we are ministering to Christ himself. Proverbs. Where am I here? There we go. Whoever oppresses the poor insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. You want to honor God today? He who mocks the poor taunts his maker. I know none of us would walk out of here today and go, nanner, 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 and stick our fingers in God's face. But he says then, when we mock the poor and the downtrodden and the exploited, we're taunting God. In Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his need. Wow. Statement and promise. And lastly, 
The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked do not understand such concern. You and I have been made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. Remember that. And those in whom the Spirit of the Lord dwells, they are concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked don't share such a concern. Turn me to the 25th chapter of Matthew. There's an incredible portion of Scripture in the 25th chapter of Matthew that is both mysterious and wondrous at the same time. It's not a Scripture that we draw a lot of doctrine from, but it is a statement that's being made by Jesus himself, and so it behooves us to probably pay attention to what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come to you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. I want you to know that everything Jesus says from here on, we could put under the social justice category of which he's calling us to care. Come, you are blessed of my Father. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. I won't read the rest of that. You can read that for yourself. But it's the converse of what we just read. As Jesus turns to the goats and he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was rotting in prison and you didn't come to visit me. And they say, but Lord, when did we see you in these positions and conditions and not come? And he said, as you did not do unto the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. The Proverbs that I just read says, when we reach out to the needy, we're ministering to him. And there is some degree along the way that we need to treat those who come across our path as Jesus in disguise and realize that as we do or don't do to them we do or don't do to Jesus in the book of Hebrews there's some disturbing passages one is be careful how you entertain strangers remember why because many have entertained angels unaware Be careful how you treat the stranger. 
He just might be an angel in disguise. And those who treat the stranger well have entertained angels unaware. There's another one out of the 13th chapter of Hebrews. And it says, pray for those who are in prison. And it's specifically speaking there of those who are in prison for their faith. The reason they're in prison is because they love Jesus. And believe it or not, hundreds of thousands of people around our world today are languishing in prison because they love Jesus. And it tells you to pray for them. You remember how it tells you to pray for them? That's right. As though you were their cellmate. Pray for these prisoners as though you were their cellmate. You sense what is happening here? Jesus looks out on the world and he sees the lost and he sees the poor and the widow and the orphan and the exploited and his heart goes out to them. But Jesus no longer dwells on this earth, but he dwells on this earth in you and in me and in his church. And the way these needs are met is when we posture ourselves to see through his eyes and to hear through his ears. James is telling us here that those who choose to live self-indulgent lives are fattening their hearts as cattle who are being fattened for the slaughter. Look at this verse. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. This summer, as we spent some time on our son-in-law and daughter's ranch in southern Utah, one of the chores that I was given while I was there was to feed four steers who were being fattened for slaughter. And each morning I fed them the four ten gallons of corn plus hay. And in the evening I fed them ten gallons of corn plus hay. And a few days after we left there, and some of them now dwell in Truckee, California, in little packages in the freezers of several people within our church. But those steers, first of all, they were made steers because we're not going to reproduce with these guys. And then secondly, they were put in a feedlot where they were specially fattened because their fate is my plate. That was their destiny. Praise God. But anyway, look what James is saying here. He's saying that people who live self-indulgent lives Their hearts are being fattened for a day of judgment just as the steer is being fattened for the day of slaughter. You see, my friends, selfishness always leads to the corrosion of the soul. And here is precisely where the gospel changes our lives in regards to all of this the way we spend our resources, the way we hold our resources, the way we see those in need around us. We have been saved by grace. 
How many of you know that? And what is grace? Unmerited favor. So what did you do to earn unmerited favor? Really? You mean God just did it? Yeah, he did. The Bible tells us this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what had you and I ever done to butter up God to save us? Nothing. In fact, he did what he did in the life of his son while we were yet sinners. While we were still shaking our collective fists in his face and shouting our swearings and our blasphemies in his ears. He reached out. Because we deserved it? Because we were better than some or prettier than others or wittier than most? No! 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 And one of the things about grace is that grace received to show that it is really understood is grace that is now given. It's not a one-way street. Gimme, 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 Lord. No, when we come to the realization of how much we have been given, not on the basis of what we've earned, but just because he loves us, all of a sudden, our heart changes in regards to giving out of the abundant resources which he has placed in our hand. I love this verse from an old hymn. Not have I gotten but what I've received. Grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded and pride I abase. I'm only a sinner. Saved by grace. And when you realize that everything you have, spiritually, emotionally, physically, materially, is pure, undeserved gift, it is changes everything. It changes everything. When you begin to understand that you own or possess absolutely nothing but have been made a steward of the good gifts that God puts in your open hands, it never becomes yours. You just become a steward. It's still his. Then he's free to add and he's free to take and give. I've told you this more than once. I, uh, I find it incredibly easy to give away that which is not mine. But you know what happens? As soon as I start to think that any of it's mine, I get tight-fisted. I start to protect it. It's mine. No, it's not. It's his. And as it's set up there, when we help those who are downtrodden and needy and whatnot, that we're lending to him. And then what was the last line? You'll repay. You'll repay. And when your hands are open and you don't have this kind of a grip on everything you own, God is free to add to that pile and he's free to take from that pile. I have several friends who are very wealthy men who give more than 70% of their income away. They say, well, if I had that much, they didn't start there. They just started giving. They started forgetting about that 
this is mine, it's my kingdom, I'll do with it what I please. And they began to say, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory. And all of a sudden we find that there are certain people that God can trust with that kind of wealth because their hands are open. And it usually goes out as freely, if not more freely, than it came in. Are you with me? Are you with me? Everything you've received is on the basis of grace. And when we realize this, it changes everything. Because when the gratitude for this grace fills one's heart, they begin to see the world around them through the eyes of Jesus. And they begin to hear the cries of that world through the ears of Jesus. This is where our hearts begin to be broken by the things that break his. This is where our hearts begin to be moved by the things that move his. I want to ask you a question. Have you given God permission to break your heart with the things that break his? Have you given him permission to let you see what's around you through his eyes and to hear it with his ears? Now let me say, I want to be honest with you, I don't want to, I don't want to sell you a bill of goods this morning to say yes to this prayer is going to inconvenience you in ways you, you can't even imagine. When you give God the permission to break your heart with the things that break his, and you begin to see through his eyes and hear with his ears, it'll cost you your time, your talents, and your resources. <laughs> and I was thinking this morning of the many people, even in this church, I stopped some of them on their way out of the parking lot this morning just to say thank you. We have some people in this church who have prayed that prayer and have let God break their hearts. This morning, sitting right over there by you, Lisa, was Michaela and Russell Grant. God has broken their hearts for the plight of foster children. And through their broken hearts, they've challenged others in this church whose hearts have been broken as well. And uh, John and Mary, is it convenient when you open up your home and bring in that other little one? It's not, is it? But what else do you do if God has broken your heart? We have another woman in this church that silently and under the, under, underneath radar is continually helping people in this church in more ways, financially, and being a friend, and driving them to appointments and stuff like that. Because the needs of those people break her heart. When I moved to Truckee, California in 1991, the first person that came through my office door to talk to me about her broken heart was Lindsay Douglas. And her heart was broken for the unborn. And she carried a torch for the unborn, and I'm sure that she does till this day. That exploited class that has no voice but our voice. Have you given God permission to break your heart? 
Nothing will ever be the same again when you do. You see poverty, exploitation, injustice, the plight of the lost. If the needs of the poor and the orphan, the widow and the exploited are near and dear to the heart of our Lord Jesus, then they must be close to our heart as well. Widows, orphans, the downtrodden, the lost, the poor. There was a lady in our first service, she's an attorney in San Francisco, lives down in the Tenderloin area, lives in one of the high-rises down there. She was asking me, she said, I walk through these people every single day. I said, you know, God isn't asking you to solve the homeless problem in San Francisco. What he's asking you is to be open should he tap you on the shoulder and say, that one. God isn't going to dump all of the ills of the world in your backyard. But he wants you to be willing and ready when he taps and says, that one. You don't say, get thee behind me, Satan. But you say, yes, Lord. I learned this in a very hard way a few years ago. I was heading out of my office one day, briefcase in hand, an agenda of the afternoon planned. And I got to the door, and a gentleman was coming through the door, and he wanted to see me. Well, my afternoon was planned. I had appointments I had places to be. I had a, a, a community to serve. And I came this close to turning to Pam and saying, make him an appointment for tomorrow. And something just grabbed me in that moment. And I turned around and we went back to my office. 30 minutes later, he was on his face on my carpet, crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy and for salvation. Then it was turned for my heart to be broken because I realized and thought, Lord, how many times as a pastor with an agenda have I been so headlong in my pursuits of that day that these same people were passing me by and I wasn't even aware. You see, part of this is, does Jesus have permission to interrupt your day? Does he have interrupt? permission to interrupt your life. He interrupted your life one day, didn't he, Bosques? Boy, you hear somebody from Mexico and think you're out from under him and get out in the driveway and he turns you right around and says, and now you're up to here in it. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. That's how he begins to feel through us and see through us and hear through us. And then he begins to write the need through us if we are willing. Jesus warned of three things that keep one from being fruitful for his kingdom. The cares of this world. I'm so tied up in my own life I don't have time to look at anybody else's. The deceitfulness of riches that somehow if I got just a little bit more my bank account's just a little bit I'll be happier. I'll be whatever. 
and the desire for things. And if we have ever lived in a day and age of the desire for things, another widget, another toy, another that, a bigger, better, faster, fancier. When I first met Bob Jones many years ago, he was the, he was the chairman of the board of this church when I candidated. And I met him, he introduced us, Bob Jones. I said, you're the guy I've been keep, trying to keep up with. The Joneses. <laughs> Thankfully, Bob wasn't that Jones. He was easy to keep up with. You see, is it not our preoccupation with these things that keeps us from hearing the cries of the downtrodden and the lost? One day, at the synagogue in Capernaum, our Lord Jesus stood and read these words from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year or the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' mandate for his ministry as he walked planet Earth. And I want to submit to you this morning that as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is our mandate as well, individually and collectively. So, through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, May we not let the cares of this world, the pursuit of wealth, our desire for things, blind us or deafen us to the cries of the world around us. You are his ambassador, called to go forth, representing his kingdom and its interests the lives of the very people that he came to save for whom he bled and died. It wasn't just for you, brother, sister. It was for those he lets cross your path. Will you let your heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God? Let's pray. And dear Father, once again I pray that these words, your words, it will give them permission to find a resting place in our heart from which we can contemplate and make a decision even this day. Well, Lord, this isn't quite what I was counting for when I hooked up for this ride. I mean, I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell, but this, this seems a little out there. Oh, dear God, break our hearts once again with the fact that everything we've received has been a gift of grace. Nothing that we have is our own, it's yours. And let us not be found tightly grasping it to where you are not only free to give from our hands, but also to receive from you into our hands. 
I know, dear God, you're looking for in individuals in this room this morning, as well as in the life of this church, a conduit, many conduits through whom you can flow your gifts, your talents, and your resources, because we will not become reservoirs. But we would say, Father, for your glory, who I am, what I have, belongs to you. And Father, remind us, I know what's going on in people's minds, remind us that we can trust you, you know that we need food, clothing, and shelter. You know we need a vehicle to get to work and back. You, you know the special needs we have living on this mountain that can snow feet at a time on us. Father, you're aware of all these things. But you ask us to live in thanksgiving for those things you've entrusted to our care, but also to live as wise stewards through whom you may flow and share and give and love and proclaim your amazing grace to those who need that grace today. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we close in song?